Let's spend some time in prayer. Lord Jesus, as I was spending time with you this week, when I saw you and you looked out on people, on a crowd of people, you were filled with compassion. For you said they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, open our eyes to look around our community and see tens of thousands of people who are distressed and dispirited because they don't know you. And then, Lord, you said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You said that the tens of thousands of people in our county who don't know you are more willing to come to you than we are to share you. Lord, you, you told us to beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Lord, I pray that you would send us out to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. As we open your word, may, may those who don't know you see you and believe, and, and may believers be built up in you, and Lord, that you would send us out this week as workers into a harvest, believing your word is true, that the harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. Lord, may each of us who know you say, Lord, send me. Lord, send me. Lord, send me, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are doing a series called Marvel at Jesus, and we have learned the word marvel means to be filled with wonder or amazement, to be filled with wonder or amazement. And many of us who've been doing the study, have been doing the study, this week we were spending time with Jesus reading through the Gospel of John together reading through John, and since the series is Marvel at Jesus, look at what I found in John 5, when I was reading John 5 this week, spending time with Jesus, I saw, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. There it is in the Bible. A few verses later, I read, do not marvel at this. There it is again, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And then a day or two later, I'm reading in John 7, and I read, Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if we marveled at Jesus? If we were filled with wonder and amazement? I mean, people spend money to go see movies, to, to be amazed at, at, at superheroes. What if we marveled at Jesus? And that's what we've been trying to learn uh, in this series. Uh, here's where we've been and where we're going in the series. We started the first week, looked at Power Up. We spent a little bit of time looking at Spider-Man, uh, not endorsing the movies, but thinking they provide us a bridge that we can help share Jesus with others. And, and then last week, we looked at the power to defeat villains, and we looked at the Black Panther. And next week, we'll finish up the series with the power of team. But today we're going to look at the power to transform, and the point we're going to learn is the gospel gives us the power to transform. I think often we wonder, could, could I be transformed? Could, could others be changed? And so we thought, wow, the, the Ant-Man movies really illustrate that, don't they? How someone is transformed being, from being a thief into a superhero, for someone who could go from big to small and, and increase in power. So we're going to watch uh, a couple of Ant-Man uh, clips, and I want you to know until a few months ago, I didn't know anything, but now I know a lot about Ant-Man. I have Cross's complete trust. It's too dangerous. We don't have a choice. Well, it's not entirely true. 
birthday. I'm so sorry I'm late. I didn't know what time your party started. It was on the invitation. He didn't get an invitation, but he came anyway. Well, I'm not going to miss my little girl's birthday party. I need to go tell mommy you're here. Oh, you don't. What are you doing here, Lane? I'm paid a dime in child support. You know, right now, if I wanted to, I could arrest you. It's good to see you too, Paxton. Mommy's so happy you're here. She choked on her drink. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what could I have for you? Can I open it now? Of course, sweetheart. It's your birthday. <laughs> you are my bestest friend. What is that thing? He's so ugly. I love him. Can I go show my friends? Yeah, of course, sweetheart. Go ahead. It's just hard finding a job when you have a rent. I'm sure you'll figure it out, but for now, I want you out of my no, house, wait. okay? It's my daughter's birthday. It's, it's my, my house. So what? It's my kid. You can't just show up here. You know that. Come on. It's a birthday party. Yeah, I know, but you can't just show up. She's my daughter. You know right? the first thing about being a father. I... Really? Maggie? That guy? Come on, you can marry anyone you want. You have to get engaged to a cop? At least he's not a crook. I'm trying, okay? I've changed. I'm, I'm straight. I'm tr I had a job and I want to provide. I had a lot of time to think about it and I love her so much. I've missed so much time and I want to be a part of her life. What do I do? Get an apartment, get a job, pay child support. And then we will talk about visitation, I promise. You're her hero, Scott. Just. Be the person that she already thinks you are. See, Henry Pym is an inventor, and he has this Ant-Man suit, this power that he, he wants to give to someone so that they could use it to help save the world. But he picks the most unlikely person, Scott Lang, a former prisoner, uh, a thief, but, but he's out of prison, and, and he really believes he's transformed, he's changed, but nobody will believe him. His ex-wife won't believe him. Nobody will give him a job. Nobody will believe that he's been transformed. And that's very similar to the story we're going to learn about today. Today we're going to learn about how Jesus picked the most unlikely person of all to take the gospel to the Gentiles. His name was Saul, uh, a Jew's Jew. And, and Saul had a past. And often when Paul would go places, people didn't really believe he had transformed because of what he had done before. You ever had people like that in your life? I grew up here in town. There's people who knew me uh, before I became a Christian, and, and they won't come to good news. That was over 50 years ago because they, didn't, they don't believe that people can really be transformed. One more clip, one more clip. Sorry about this. 
yet. Does anyone have any orange slices? So Scott Lang has given this the superpower, the ability to become small but to grow in strength. And it kind of took him a while to learn how to use this power, but he would use this power to help save the world. In a very similar way, this, this man Saul, who would become Paul, was given a superpower. He was given the gospel, which is the power to transform. And, and we're going to see how the Apostle Paul used this power given to him to help save the world and change the world. And that same power is given to every Christian. That's why I'm the gospel man. And you can be too. You can be the gospel woman or the gospel man because Jesus gives us the gospel. And the gospel gives us the power to transform, to be transformed ourselves and also to be involved in transforming others in the world. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 9. And if you don't, you can follow on the big screen. And we've been learning uh, that it's good to get in the Word, but it's, but it's better to be under the Word. If, if you're new, we believe the Bible is God's Word, and we're going to sit under His Word this morning. <clears throat> so I'll start reading in verse 1. Now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Here's the setting. It's 37 A.D. We're in Acts chapter 8. There's, uh, I believe, 24 chapters in the book, and the gospel really hasn't gotten out of Jerusalem because the apostles are all stuck in Jerusalem. And Jesus wants the gospel to get to the nation, so he's going to be raising up a new apostle to get the gospel there, and he picks the most unlikely person. He picks Saul, a Jew's Jews who hated Jesus, and Saul was there. Saul was there when Stephen was martyred and helped throw the stones. So Saul is on this mission with letters from the synagogue in Jerusalem to travel 150 miles northeast to Damascus to find Christians and bring them back and put them to death. Could we say there's a growing hostility in our culture toward Christians? It's important to know that's nothing new. There has always been a hostility toward Christians. There was then as well. Notice, too, that he was going to find anyone belonging to the way. This is Acts chapter 9. Christians are not first called Christians till chapter 11. In chapter 11, Christians in Antioch for the first time are called Christians, which means little Christ-like ones. 
meant to be a term of derision, but we think it's a badge of honor, right, to be called little Christ-like ones. But right here, they're called belonging to the way, and, and you know where that comes from, right, where Jesus said what? I am the, the way. So he's on a mission uh, to find anyone belonging to the way. As he was traveling, <clears throat> it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Jesus is the light of the world, and the light of the world appeared to Saul. And notice what Jesus said to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? What? Me. Notice he doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Or why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus is the head of the body, and his people are the members, so the way we treat each other is the way we treat Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He says, whatever you've done to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it to me. That's why this year we've been learning that a disciple not only loves Jesus, but a disciple loves one another because there's a very close connection between Jesus and his people. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. <laughs> oh, don't you know at that point Saul goes, uh-oh. Uh, I'm in big trouble. Uh, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. Now I want you to notice here, Jesus is the seeking and saving Savior. He is seeking and saving Saul. Saul is not seeking him. Jesus is the pursuing Savior. He is pursuing Saul. Saul is not pursuing him. And Jesus always gets his man. He always gets his woman. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. <clears throat> the men who travel with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So they could hear, but they couldn't see Jesus. Only Paul saw Jesus by the way, for those that are new, Saul's name was changed to Paul. So if I'm saying Saul or Paul is the same person, okay? Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. <clears throat> now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias replied, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man and how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Um, Jesus, Jesus says, I want you to go and open Saul's eyes. And he says, I kind of like him being blind. I mean, Jesus, do you know what he's done to your people? If I open his eyes, he might arrest me and put me to, to death. Can't we just leave him blind? <clears throat> But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. 
For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. No, I've appeared to him. I have a plan for his life. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. Wow. My Baptist friends are right. They really were Baptists, right? Brother Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice we only get well in community, that his sight is restored in a community. The Apostle Paul is being called as an apostle, and there's an inner call that he's met Jesus, but that inner call is confirmed by the church, confirmed by the church. So Jesus told Ananias to confirm that, that Saul had really seen Jesus. So Ananias comes, lays his hands on Paul, affirming that, that he has seen Jesus. Now, Paul already had the Holy Spirit. He's now filled with the Holy Spirit, preparing him for his ministry. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. His sight is restored, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Where did this take place? Where? In a house, wasn't it? Didn't Paul go, as Jesus told him, into Judas's house, and now Ananias has entered the house, right? Here's why that's important. Sometimes people say, well, Smiley, why, good news, do you baptize people by pouring or sprinkling of water? Why do you do that? And, and the reason is, when we read the Bible, there always seemed to be enough water at hand when someone came to faith in Christ to baptize them. And in this story, it says that, that Ananias went into a home. He opened Paul's eyes. And then Paul was baptized. And then he got something to eat. So it seemed like there was enough water in the house to baptize him, doesn't it? I mean, they could have left the house and gone down to a river and been baptized, but it it doesn't say that, does it? So in the house, water is poured over Paul's head, affirming to him that he really was forgiven of all of his sins, and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what happens to baptized people? What happens to people who meet Jesus? Notice what it says. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. So, so first, he, he, he fellowships with others, and immediately... He began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And immediately he begins to tell others, I've met Jesus, I've met Jesus, I've met Jesus. The sooner after you receive Jesus that you tell someone else about Jesus, the more likely that you will do that for life. The longer you wait to tell someone else that you've met Jesus, the likelihood that you will ever do it goes down and down and down. Remember, if you're old like me, when people used to have surgery? When people used to have surgery, they stayed in bed for a long, long time. And then after they stayed in bed a long time, they tried to get them up and get them moving, and they couldn't get moving. So now when people have surgery, what happens? They get them up what? Right away. And they get them up right away so that they can regain their strength right away. That's why every week I say, listen, if you've put your trust in Christ, mark it on your card, tell someone. The sooner we start talking about Jesus after we meet Jesus, the more likely we will to do it. And the longer we wait, 
The longer we wait to go verbal with our faith, the harder it will become. And we see with Paul immediately, right away, right away when he meets Jesus, he begins to say, he's the son of God. I don't know everything about him, but I met Jesus and he changed my life. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound from the chief priest? <laughs> Would you like to have been in the synagogue? In walks Saul. You expect him to, to put Christians to death, but instead he's saying that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And people would ask what? What happened to you? And what would he say? I met Jesus. You see, the gospel gives the power to transform. The people in that synagogue could see Paul being transformed by the gospel. Can, do the people we know, are they seeing Jesus change our lives? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Right before their eyes, they saw Saul transforming into Paul. They saw the persecutor turning into the persecuted, someone who hated Jesus into someone who loved him, someone who used to bind free people to someone who would unbind people who were bound, someone who used to put people to the death who now was seeing people raised from the dead. And so people ask, uh, can I change? Yes, yes. The gospel gives us the power to transform. That's why the story's in here, to show us how Paul was transformed. I mean, I have friends. Could they change? Yes. The gospel gives us the power to transform. So that's what I want you to remember from today. The gospel gives us the power to transform. Now, every week I like to give you an action step an action step so that you can begin to put it into practice in a way that will change your life. So the action step this week is actually two commands. It's two commands. And the first is don't be conformed, be transformed. Will you say that with me? Don't be conformed, be transformed. And you say, well, what does that mean? Notice Romans 12 too. First, the first command, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed. Now, the second, the second command, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's look a little bit at the first. What does it mean, don't be conformed to this world? I love the J.B. Phillips translation. Look at this. This is, this is so good. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't we feel that? Don't we live in a culture that puts tremendous pressure on us to think in a certain way, to talk in a certain way, to act in a certain way? And, and so the Bible says, if we're going to be transformed by the gospel, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Instead, instead it says, but be transformed. See the word transformed in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, it's the word metamorpho. What comes from that? Help me at what? Metamorphosis. You, you see that caterpillar turning into that beautiful butterfly? One more time, see the word transform metamorpho. It's the same word used on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
that Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John. His glory is veiled, but on the mountain, his glory is unveiled. He's transformed. Before their eyes, they see Jesus in all of his glory. So that's what it's saying. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How does that happen? By the renewing of your mind. Why do we run to church or small group or get up and spend time with Jesus? Because transformation starts in the mind. It starts with the Word of God in our mind. The Holy Spirit taking the renewing of our mind and changing our life. That's why we want to hear the gospel over and over again because transformation takes place by the renewing of your mind. It starts in the mind. It stirs our emotions and then it moves to the will so that you may prove. That is that we might actually do what Jesus says and walk as Jesus walked, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So I want you to know everyone in this room has a decision to make. We all have a decision. We can be a disciple of Jesus or a disciple of the world, one or the other. But we can't do both. We can't do both. And I want you to know that failing to make a decision is still making a decision. And you say, well, why do we have to choose? Because on almost every single subject, Jesus and the world are at opposite. They, they are complete opposites and opposed to each other. And, and you say, well, how? Okay. With life with God, having life with God, Jesus said what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Didn't Jesus say that? There is nothing more offensive to our culture today than those words. Isn't that true? Listen, our culture says there's many ways to God. And so each of us has to what? We have to make a decision. Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to follow the world? How about with becoming great? With becoming great, what's the path to become great? Jesus said, what, if you want to become great, you need to follow me and serve. You need to descend to greatness. Isn't that what Jesus said? Follow me into serving others? But our culture says what? No, no, if you want to be great, you have to ascend and step on people to get to the top. Now I'm really going to get myself into trouble. How about with sex? Hmm? Jesus says what? That sex belongs in marriage, to be enjoyed alone between a husband and wife. Could there be anything more offensive to our culture than that? But our world says what's trying to squeeze us into its mold, what does it say? Sex anywhere, anytime with anyone is okay as long as there is consent, right? So who will you choose? I want you to know, I want to follow Jesus. Do you? I want to be a disciple of Jesus no matter what it costs. How about you? Do you? This year, we've been learning that Jesus invites us on a disciple-making adventure. And every week, we've asked, well, what is a disciple? We said a disciple is a follower of Jesus. We have to make a decision. Are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to follow the world? Which will you choose? And we've been learning what? That being a follower of Jesus is really responding. 
It's responding to simple invitations that he gives to us to come and see him and to follow me and to fish for men, right? And all three of those invitations are in the story that we just read. How did it start for Paul? How did transformation start for Paul? Didn't it start with coming and seeing Jesus, didn't it? Saul is on the way to Damascus and he sees Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, then he sees himself. And what does he say? Uh Uh-oh. Because when he saw Jesus, he saw his sin like he had never seen it before. He understood the bad news of the gospel. And then he understood the good news when he saw the wounds of Christ, that Jesus had died for him and that his part was to believe. And, And listen, Saul believed and he became Paul. That's my story. If you're a Christian, that's your story, isn't it? If you're not yet a Christian, that could be your story. It all starts with coming and seeing Jesus, doesn't it? I've told you a thousand years ago time, but I'm in high school and a friend says, come to Young Life. And I say, what is it? And they say, what? Come and see. And I went. My Young Life leader opened the Bible and said, come and see Jesus. And everything began to change, right? Doesn't everything change when you see Jesus? For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. For the first time in my life, I realized I was lost. I had committed crime after crime against God in thought and word and deed. I was in big trouble. You are too. It's not just me, the Bible says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Wow, as I began to see Jesus, I saw myself as I had never seen myself, that I was a sinner and I was in trouble, and that's true of all of us. But then I began to understand the good news, that Jesus didn't come to help good people get better. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, that Jesus loved me so much that God the Son put on flesh and came to earth for me and for you to seek us, to save us, He lived a perfect life for us for 33 years, tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. You know what Jesus did for me? You know what changed my life? Naked. On a garbage dump. Between two thieves. Jesus took my crimes, my sins, and yours and died in my place. When I understood that, that changed everything, doesn't it? He died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. It gets better. He rose. He rose on the third day, and he offered me salvation as a free gift. Are you kidding me? He offered me that I could be saved from the guilt of my sins and be forgiven. I could be saved from the penalty of my sins, which is death. And I could do life with him. And I could do life for him. And I could do eternity with him and for him. And I heard my part was to believe. Was to believe. Have you? Would you like to be saved from the guilt of your sins and be forgiven and the power of sin and live forever? And would you like to do life with him and for him and eternity with him and for him? Our part's so simple. Listen to this. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I surrender. 
I surrender. The rebellion against you, it's over today. I surrender. Have you ever surrendered? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? We love to say it's as simple as ABC, that we admit we're sinners. When I saw Jesus, I saw myself, and I admitted, Jesus, I've sinned against you, won't you? And then I believed. When I understood what Jesus had done for me, I said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose, won't you? Jesus commit to Jesus. I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. And he did, won't you? And then I said, Jesus, today I surrender. You're Lord now. From now on, as you give me strength, I will follow you. Won't you? Have you done that? That's how it all starts, right? Gospel transformation. It all starts when we come and see Jesus. And when we see him, then we see ourselves. And then we believe in him, right? And then we become believers. And then what does Jesus say? He says, what? Follow me, doesn't he? When Jesus moves in, he says, I'm Lord now. So follow me. Don't we see that in the story? Don't we? So <clears throat> Jesus says to Saul, get up. What does Saul do? What's he do? He gets up. Get up and go. What does Saul do? He goes. Why? Because Jesus is Lord now. And Jesus says, follow me. So he gets up. And Jesus says, go. And he goes. <laughs> get up and go to the street call straight. Is that what we're like when Jesus speaks? Do we get up and go? Get up and go to the street call straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. How do I know that? Because when Ananias went into the house, Saul was there. And he was there because he did what Jesus said. Um, what's so great about being a Christian is we follow a person. His name is Jesus, a real person who lived here on earth for 33 years and modeled for us what God wants us to live like, didn't he? Listen, Jesus is not only our Savior, he's our model. He's our model for life and ministry. And to follow Jesus, we make it the passion of our life to get to know him so we can follow him. He's our model for life and for ministry. I'm a husband. Jesus, what do you want me to do? What does he say? What? Follow me, and I'll show you how to love your wife. Well, Jesus, I'm a father and a grandfather. What do you want me to be? Have you picked it up yet? What does he say? What? Follow me, and I'll show you how. And then I'm a pastor, right? And how do I make disciples? And what does Jesus say? What? He says what? Follow me. And here's what I've discovered. When I follow Jesus, it's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. It's the way life is meant to be lived. So, um, it all starts with come and see, and we believe, right? And, and, and then it's follow me, right? And then Jesus, his third invitation is to fish for men. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Don't we see that in the story here? Uh, didn't, um, in verse 
15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. I want you to go and let Paul know that I chose him for a purpose. He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. Jesus chose Saul before Saul chose Jesus, and he chose him for a purpose that he would take the gospel to Gentiles, to kings, and to other Jews. And maybe you say, well, gee, man, I wish Jesus would choose me. Look at what John says. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Are you a Christian? Well, finally, didn't I choose Jesus? Sure, you chose him. But you chose him because he chose you long before you ever chose him. And here's why that matters. Jesus chose you because he has a purpose for your life. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Jesus has chosen you so you'd go where you live and where you work and where you play and you would bear fruit there, that you would fish for people there. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may, he may give to you. Whatever you need on that mission, whatever you need to fish for men where you live, work, and play, you just ask and I'll supply it to you. So, in the story here, what do we see happen? And immediately... He began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. So Paul meets Jesus. He believes. He begins to follow him, and then he begins to fish for men, right? He begins to share he is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for this purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? As Paul began to follow Jesus, that opened up opportunities for gospel conversations. It always does, doesn't it? <laughs> Come on, there were people who saw Saul, and what did they ask him? What? What happened to you? What happened to you? You used to hate Jesus, now you loved him. What happened? What did he say? I met Jesus. And everything began to change. Shouldn't that be happening to us? I mean, if we're following Jesus in a culture that's completely opposite, shouldn't people ask questions? Why do you go to church on Sunday? Why do you carry a Bible? Why are there people in front of your home on Wednesday night? Why do you show up at work early? Why do you work hard whether the boss is there or not? Um, why do you drive the speed limit? Why is it that you're not sleeping with your boyfriend? Shouldn't following Jesus make people ask us questions? I have a good friend. He's old, almost as old as me. But he's a technology wizard. And so he travels all over the world and trains people in technology. And he, he's gone to Europe several times, and he was telling me recently while we were having lunch, he said, Smiley, I was with these young uh, technology people, and, and they're all secular, and none of them are married, and we're having dinner one night. And they asked me, how long have you been married? And he said, 33 years. And they said, we have never met anyone who's been married 30 
three years. How did you do it? And if you're an evangelist like me, that's what you dream for, right? People to ask you, right? But that's what happens when you follow Jesus. People ask. And so Joe said, listen, here's the bad news. My wife and I are both sinners. And here's the good news. Jesus came to save sinners. And my wife and I, both of us has trusted Jesus. And he's forgiven us so much, we've been able to forgive each other for 33 years. And he's loved us so unconditionally, he's helped us to love one another. And when Jesus moved into us, he said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And since Jesus is committed to us, we've been able to be committed to each other. You see, Jesus is the key. Isn't that great? Shouldn't that be happening all the time, shouldn't it? That when we follow Jesus, people ask questions. One other tip on fishing in this passage is, is Paul was so good at keeping it about Jesus, wasn't he? About keeping it about Jesus. So Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. He kept saying, come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. He didn't get sidetracked on other discussions. I get asked a lot, well, Smiley, what do you think about same-sex marriage? Well, Smiley, what do you think about President Trump? And I'll say, you know, those are really good questions, but I've got a really much more important question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Why don't we explore together who is Jesus? And after we answer that question together, then we can answer your other questions together. Oh, dear people, the gospel gives us the power to conform. I mean, the power to, to transform. And so this week, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Each day when we get up and we hear Jesus say, come and see, let's get up and spend time with him. And then when Jesus says, follow me, let's follow him. When Jesus says, fish for men, let's fish. But I know some of you will say, well, Smiley, do you always follow Jesus? Well, I follow Jesus except when I don't. It was Thursday this week and I'm pumping gas. And um, I'm at this gas station and, and I usually try and pray for other people, but I'm at this gas station pumping gas and this lady walks out of the convenience store and she's really attractive. And she doesn't have a whole lot of clothes on. And I'm looking way too much when I hear the most frightening words I could ever hear, Pastor Smiley. <laughs> and Viv and Brittany are just riding by smiling at me. And I am so busted. I want you to know something. I love Jesus. And I want to follow him. I really, really do. And I would ask you, would you pray for me? Pray for me. I love him. I want to follow him. Will you pray for me? And if you'll pray for me that I would love him and follow him, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And I believe together, together, 
we really can make a difference in our time. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful you came to seek and save the lost, us, that you lived and died and rose so that we could be saved by believing in you. Thank you. And listen, if you're here and you've not taken that first step to believe in Jesus, won't you? Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card, tell someone. Telling someone else will make Jesus more real to you. Lord, I pray for those of us who believe in you that we would make a decision, that we would renew a decision today, that we want to be disciples of you, Jesus, and not the world. And Jesus, I pray this week that when we hear you say, come and see, that we would get up and spend time with you and see how life was meant to be lived. And then when we hear you say, follow me, we would say, yes, Lord, help. Help us to follow you. And Lord, as we head out each day, may we hear you say, fish for men, and may we go out and have opportunities to share with others what a wonderful Savior we have. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.